It is a delight to be able to see so many folks uh, visiting with us tonight. We do have a number of folks that are back with us, uh, some who belong here, who've moved away and come back, but it's a delight to see each of you tonight, and it's always a privilege for us to be able to open a part of God's Word and listen to it and let it tell us why God wants us to live. We've been studying on Sunday nights from the book of Philippians, and we're now to chapter 4, and we're going to begin with verse 4, and we're going to go through verse 7 as we study the Bible together tonight. Do you really want to be happy? And someone says, that's a ridiculous question. Obviously, we always do. We want to be happy. We want to be joyful. We want to see the, the good of life. Most people do not realize, however, that in order to enjoy happiness, there's some demands that go along with it. In other words, happiness doesn't just happen. It's the result of things that you and I do and the way we think. And uh, Lord willing, as we study further into chapter Eight, we'll see some things we ought to be thinking upon. But if I go to the Old Testament, to Psalms 128 and verse 2, David writes, When you eat the labor of your hands, you will be, shall be happy, and it shall be well with you. When you eat the labor of your hands. You get out and you work hard, and, and you have the, the results of your labor, and it makes you happy because you know that you've worked for it. I've often looked at people today who have things handed to them and they're not happy, they're dissatisfied because they didn't earn it. They didn't work for it because if a man gets out and he works something and now he knows what it takes to get it, for him he appreciates it and is thankful for it. In the book of Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 13, happy is the man who finds wisdom and a man who gains understanding. People who think about things and learn things begin to find out where happiness is truly derived. But then you get to passages like Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, where Jesus at the end of the Beatitudes said, Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now I begin to understand that the day may not be joyful, in fact the day may be difficult, but I can still say that I'm happy because I know that there's something greater that awaits me. I can be able to find happiness because even though people in the current day may be making my life miserable, I still have confidence in what God holds forth. In Acts 5 and verse 41, the people to whom the Lord spoke, 12 of them were men who were dedicated knowing what was in the future. And when they found themselves being persecuted, Acts 5 verse 41 says, So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. You have people who are looking at their lives and they're saying, I know I'm suffering, but I have a Savior who holds out a future for me. Well, let's look at verse 4 that Brother Ryan read to us just a few moments ago. 
Paul issues a command and the instructions and the encouragement follows it. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Notice this is not, you will have joy. This is a command to rejoice. This is a command, and he is going to explain in verses 5 through 7 how this works. So here's what our lesson is going to be tonight. Three simple verses that follow. We're going to talk about happiness and joy is found in restraint in verse 5. Holding back, not just letting everything go, but showing some self-discipline. Number two, in verse 6, reliance. Learning to give God the difficulties that you and I are facing in life and learning to trust him with that. Then number three, the result that you and I will rejoice and we will have something that is going to pass all understanding. Let's look very carefully now at verse 5 of Philippians 4. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Now when I say let your gentleness be known, if you're reading the original King James, you'll notice that the word there is let your moderation be known. If you're using the American Standard, let your forbearance be known. Someone says, well, I, I want to know which one is it. Is it gentleness? Is it uh, moderation? Is it forbearance? Well, the original word carries all three of these ideas. Here's what the lexicon says. Not insisting on every right of letter of law or custom, yielding, gentle, kind, courteous, tolerant. In other words, when someone makes things bad for us, how do we respond to that? Do we respond with kindness? Do we respond with goodness? Do we respond with gentleness? Do we restrain or forbear? Yes, all of those are included. Peter uses the word in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 18. And I, I always try to explain words and what they mean in a context which we can see. And Peter is talking about a man who might be a slave. And he might be serving under a master. And he says, servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. The word gentle there. We're talking about a master who treats his slaves, he treats his servants with respect. He doesn't just, you know, treat them any way. He shows some gentleness. He shows some forbearance. He shows some moderation toward them. Well, then that brings up the question... Let your gentleness be known to all men. Let your moderation be known to all men. Let your forbearance be known. Well, how do I let that be known? What could I do? What should I do? Well, what about when people treat you in an evil way? How do you respond to that? Listen to Jesus in that passage in Matthew 5, verse 39. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. 
But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other cheek to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you and from him who wants to borrow from you. Do not turn away. Now what the Lord is talking about is somebody who is prevailing upon you, treating you badly, and he says, here's what you do. If he's trying to mistreat you, you go ahead and go along. Oh, but that's not what I want to do. I want to return evil for evil. No, that's not what you do. In fact, if you go to 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 7, you see it applied in a congregation. You have two brothers in a congregation. One is suing the other, going to law with them. Verse 7, now therefore it is already an utter failure. For you go to law one against another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? Oh, that's tough. Well, you see what the Lord is saying. When someone treats you badly, you don't respond. You let your gentleness, you let your moderation, you let your forbearance be known to all men. The classic passage, though, in my judgment, is found in Romans chapter 12. Verse 17, repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it's possible, as much as depends upon you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place for wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heat coals of fire upon his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Oh, there's the meaning of what he's saying. Let your gentleness, moderation, forbearance be made known to all things, all men. But it's not just your restraint in the way you might treat someone who would treat you in a bad way, but it's also your restraint and allowing yourself to be given over to material things. We all know 1 Timothy chapter 6 where Paul says the Love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, which some reaching after. He said they have, in their greediness, have pierced themselves with many sorrows. Oh, they found out life is not happy like that. And if you go to Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? You see, there are those people around about us, and they see us restraining, giving in to the life of materialism. Now, in this context, Lord gave us the privilege last week of looking at the problem that existed between Euodia and Syntyche. Here are two women who are evidently at odds with one another, and they needed some restraint. Let's say we've got two sisters, or let's say we've got two brothers in the congregation. How do we address that? Well, one thing, we have to be careful with our tempers. 
and be careful with what we say. James chapter 1 said, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. Be careful what you say and be careful with your temper. Show some restraint there. Then he says in the last phrase of verse 5, the Lord is at hand. Now that phrase at hand can have two different meanings. It can refer to being at hand or near in, time, in terms of time. In other words, it's like, for instance, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's nearby. It's about to take place. Or it can have reference to space. And we can say, well, he's at hand. He's nearby. We do know that Paul did not anticipate an imminent or just right away the Lord's return. They would not have sang the song, Jesus is coming soon. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he said, not to be shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word, as if the, from us, as though the day of Christ had come. And he goes on and said, let nobody deceive you. That day will not come until there's a falling away. You see, that has to come first. So what does it mean then? The Lord is at hand. It means the Lord is near to us. He can observe what's going on. Does the Lord know whether or not I show restraint in the way I respond to others and what I say and how I act? Well, sure he does. In Mark 14, 42, rise, let us be going, my betrayer is at hand. He's nearby. What would that do if you and I know that the Lord is by and he's seeing what we're doing right now? And he sees what we're doing when we leave here. We would be happier if we showed a little more restraint knowing that the Lord is near. You know, sometimes we may catch ourselves saying things we ought not have said. Someone overhears it and we would say, I wished I hadn't said that. Restraint will make us much happier. Number two, let's look at verse six. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Be anxious for nothing. What does it mean to be anxious? We usually use the word worry. But you know in the Bible Paul says there's that which comes upon me daily, my deep anxiety for all the churches. I'm concerned about them. There's one thing to be concerned about something legitimately and then there's another thing to be just irrational and worry. We can see for instance in Luke chapter 10, Jesus came to the house of Mary, Martha and Lazarus. Particularly there and present was Mary and Martha. And the two different women chose two different ways to respond to the Lord. Mary sat at Jesus' feet. But we learn from verse 41, Jesus said, answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. How many of us could just change Martha's name and put our name there? 
Tony, Tony, you are worried and troubled about many things. You're letting a lot of things control your mind. He goes on to say, Mary has chosen the good part. That's not going to be taken away from her. The most classic passage of Scripture on the subject of worry is Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 25, going through verse 34. The first full sermon that I preached when I was 16 years old was on Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. I got the sermon from Brother Wendell Winkler's little books, Heart Diseases and Their Cures. I even memorized the illustrations. He said, worrying is like trying to put toothpaste back into a tube. You can't do it. I thought about that a lot of times over the years. Let me just pull out some verses for you. Verses 27, 28. Which of you worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say unto you that Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. It doesn't do any good. And in fact, if you look, God has always taken care of the birds of the air. He's always taken care of the flowers of the field. Verse 31 Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? What shall we wear is not standing in front of your closet door saying, do I wear this suit or that suit? Oh, no, it's what am I going to be able to wear? Do I have any clothes to put on? Verse 31 and verse 34, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. The Lord's saying, live one day at a time. You see, we're, we're a bunch of worriers. Worry robs people of so much of their happiness. Well, is this going to happen? Is that going to happen? Am I going to get this disease or am I going to get that disease? You become a group of hypochondriacs see Paul offers a good alternative to worry he said in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God we're talking about talking with our heavenly father we're talking about placing our burdens before him it also requires of us to count your many blessings, name them one by one, with thanksgiving. Listen to what Jesus said in that great Sermon on the Mount, chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. Ask and you shall receive, or ask and we give it to you. Seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, who seeks, finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your Father who is in heaven will give good things to those who ask him? What is he saying? Ask. Is that not exactly what James said in James 4 verse 2? 
He said, you lust and have, you murder and covet and cannot obtain. You have, fight and war and yet you do not have because you do not ask. Maybe our problem with worry is we're not asking God in prayer for what we need. It's difficult to give up on self-reliance. But the only way you and I can find true happiness is to learn to rely upon God and trust because he's smarter than we are, he's more powerful than we are, and he's more capable than we are. In Luke 18, verse 27, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. That's a key element. Now, number three, the result from verse seven. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. The peace of God that passes all understanding. The peace of God. How do I get that? How do I get the peace with God? You know, uh, nations sometimes are at odds with one another. You and I have made an enemy out of God when we sin, but I can find peace with God. Romans 5 verse 1, therefore having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It is through Jesus and our faith in him that we acquire this peace. And it is a peace that the world does not get. When you and I try to tell people that being a Christian has a sense of happiness and joy and peace in it, that they can't understand. I see these phrases at this time of the year, peace, love, joy. Some people have them in lights out in front of their house. Some people have them written on their cards that they mail to people. Oh, but do you realize that it's right here that you find the peace that passes all understanding? In 1 John 3, verse 1, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us because it did not know Him. They, didn't know, they don't know who Jesus is. They don't know the, the offer that He gives. And because of that, they don't understand us as well. He said this kind of peace will guard your heart's and your minds. When I think about a guard, I think about, a, for instance, a, a military sentry who stands near the gate and he guards to make sure so no one comes in or goes out. The Bible tells us in Galatians 3, verse 23, before faith kept, came, we were kept under guard by the law. It was that century, if you will. It was that uh, guard to keep us from doing what was wrong. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 5, who are kept by the power of God. We're guarded, we're kept. God takes care of us. He says that guards our hearts. That's the passion. Minds, that's our intellect. It is both a heart and a head religion. Jesus 
appeals to our reasoning, our understanding, that's our heads. He also appeals to our good nature. And wow, when you start thinking about all that involves, some people are seeking joy and happiness in all the wrong places. Some people think joy and happiness would be able to go to Las Vegas, Nevada to put a coin in a slot machine and win a million dollars. A lot of people think they can go to the, the store and buy one of these little scratch-off tickets or, or start playing some numbers and they may win a hundred million dollars. You do know most of them go broke, don't you? That's not where joy and happiness is found. Some are seeking in the right place but the wrong way. There's a lot of religious people in the world today, but they're not finding the truth because they're not following it the way the Lord wants us to. In fact, there may be some of us here that are struggling with that. The book of Philippians tells us to have that kind of joy and the peace. And it can only become through trusting in God and following his plan. You're not a Christian tonight. I can tell you how you can go home and lay your head on your pillow with no worries, at least as far as heaven is concerned. You can know that if you believe that Jesus Christ is God's Son, you are willing to repent of your sins, confess your faith in Him, and be baptized. When you are baptized, all your sins are washed away. There's nothing that's held against you. You will be like the eunuch in Acts chapter 8. You will go on your way rejoicing. You know, we sing the song, Burdens Are Lifted at Calvary. You think about the burdens. Some of us are carrying around guilt because we know we're God's children and we know we're not doing right. And there's no happiness in not doing right. But you can correct that tonight. We're going to sing the song of encouragement. Soul, a Savior, thou art needing. And if you need to respond to the gospel tonight, would you come as together we stand and sing?